Well, good morning to you, and welcome to Bay Presbyterian Church, and for uh, this memorial for uh, Laura McLaughlin, and um, I, I welcome you, and I acknowledge your presence, as does the family, and accepts that as your expression of love and uh, concern and support for them. So, you have in your programs um, an insert like this. Everything that you need for the service will be right here, and uh, the words to the songs and the words to the readings will be on that insert for you. So you can have that at the ready, and we're going to start out with a call to worship, a responsive reading, and you'll find that in the program. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He who has the Son has the life. Would you please rise as we sing together?
Please pray with me. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you too are here this day and that you are shedding your love upon the family as they miss Laura. God, we thank you for lending her to us these many years. And now, God, we pray that this time together will be a balm to our, to our souls to strengthen us and to help us through the difficult times that you will bear us up on eagle's wings. Thank you, God, for your presence. We ask your blessing on this time, and we make our prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who lived and died and rose again, and who, while on this earth, taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I'd like to invite Brenda Gorman to come up. Brenda is Laura's sister, and she's going to share with us St. Francis' prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek be consoled as to console, to understand, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. It is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in the dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Just on a brief side note, all the lovely people that are here today and it would mean so much to her and to Alex and Eric and Meryl and Kevin she would be so proud and grateful for everything Alex it would mean nothing more to her than to see that beautiful little girl in your arms named after our mother Eric profiles and courage for 
the amazing changes and the courage with which you have faced every challenge and grabbed life by the throat. She would be so proud. Meryl, you're out of central casting for a mother. She would be so, she loved being part of your beautiful girls and seeing your family and grow and being such a happy, happy family. And Kevin, today, as always, your love and devotion shines in just the most beautiful way. Laura and I spent a lot of time talking about love, loss, relationships, family. And she would be the first to say she wasn't perfect, like all of us, with humility. But I know what she would say. I, I loved you perfectly. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. I read these words of comfort and hope from the Apostle Paul first. Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the apostle would write these things concerning uh, the very subject matter of our time together here today. The apostle writes this, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Eric if you would come here and share with us some thoughts. All right. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Eric. I'm Laura's son. And I just wrote a couple of things. <clears throat> My mother was my biggest inspiration. She was my rock, the greatest listener, and my number one fan. <clears throat> my mom stood by my side through all of my trials and tribulations, sometimes from afar, other times sitting right next to me holding my hand. But she was always there. She loved me and accepted me when I couldn't do the same for myself. She was dedicated and steadfast when it came to her children and family. She was fearless when it came to chasing her dreams. She taught me what it was to dream, to envision the life you desire, and to chase after relentlessly. I was so inspired 
when she decided to change careers in her 50s. Not only to change careers when most people start slowing down, but to find great success and happiness. I thought if my mom could do that, then what's my excuse? She was soft and gentle, yet had a will of iron. I'd like to think some of that has worn off on me. The tenacity my mother displayed earned her every ounce of her much-deserved success. I'm heartbroken. Her life was cut short, and she wasn't able to enjoy the fruits of her labor. Life's not fair, she used to tell me, and she was right. It's not fair. I've been trying to wrap my head around all of this and make some sense of it all, but I'm still as shocked as the day I found out her diagnosis. Then I'm reminded of something else my mother used to tell me. In my darkest hours, when I was at my lowest, she would say in the sweetest voice, this too shall pass. She said it so many times it was almost cliche, but she said it with such conviction and sincerity that as much as I hated hearing it at the time, I knew deep down in my heart of hearts that she was right. This is just a moment in time, and as painful and unfair as it seems, it will get better. No matter how dark it got, she always believed that the light was just over the horizon, and she would love for us to do the same. I'm so grateful for my mother. Without her love and support, I wouldn't be standing here today. I hope we can all aspire to be more like her, to see the good in things, to dream big, to keep the faith, to love fiercely, and to chase after whatever it is your heart desires. Thank you. any circumstances a difficult thing to do but under these especially um, I have a few prepared remarks and before I, I go into that these remarks I'd just like to casually observe that um, Laura came here to church and when she was here she began visiting with um, with our accompanist and um, and our soloist today uh, Gordon and Carol, and, and uh, Carol's family uh, owned and operated the Daly's Restaurant in Greater Detroit, and apparently uh, Laura used to visit Daly's Restaurant and, and uh, have meals there, so uh, just as a matter of providence and divine coincidence. But it seems to me that a memorial service such as this really accomplishes three things. Uh, the first thing that it does is it helps provide closure. Laura was with us every day, and the mention of her name brings back to us events and memories, each uh, different for every one of us. And not only that, but Laura brought out different things in each one of you so that not only will she be missed, but what she brought out in each of you will also be missed. And our gathering here today is a reminder to us that Laura didn't just slip away on another trip, another vacation, but she left the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God, as John Gillespie McGee reminded us in his poem, High Flight. The second thing that a memorial service such as this one does is that it reminds us of a life well lived. I didn't know Laura personally, but each one of you knew her well, as I am told you are her 
not just family, but then the closest of friends as well. And I know only what Kevin has related to me of her, but the words spoken by Eric earlier are representative of this life and, and Brenda as well. And indeed, it was a life well lived. What I know about Laura, so I have learned from Kevin, is that Laura was a compassionate person. She was loving, caring, and sincere. She was a wife, a mother, a grandmother. I'm told that she was referred to as, is this right, grand-grand? Okay, my wife is Gigi to our grandchildren, so we're almost on the same page on that one. But she was another, she was an aunt and she was a friend. She had strong, a strong faith base in God, which I'm certain helped her through the difficult days that she experienced. And so has been repeated, uh, a strong-willed person, um, maybe in the very best of senses, um, because uh, she had a penchant for determination and dedication, all of which contributed to her success. She was a go-getter, and she went the extra mile. You'll, you'll find more about Laura on the back of your program, and uh, I would invite your attention to that as you take it home to read uh, some facts about Laura that maybe you didn't know. She was a beach gal who loved all aspects of the water and sun, including boating on their boat. And Laura and Kevin uh, loved traveling, having visited some 40 countries. Uh, she made the most of her time while at home, serving the community with a variety of initiatives, including being on the landscape committee as a chairman and um, in, in her community and also serving on the Bonita Bay Community Association, uh, their cane toad removal committee. <laughs> we could have used her, her help in our neighborhood. <laughs> Indeed, this was a life well lived. And I'd like to read for you a poem and make a few remarks. It goes like this. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had forked no light, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by crying how bright their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang sun in flight and learned too late, they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into the good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight, blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on this sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Now, you probably recognize this poem uh, written by Dylan Thomas. I was introduced to this through a movie, which I don't recommend to you, called Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. But Dylan Thomas wrote this in 1947, traveling with his family in Italy, and not too many years before his death in 1953. 
Dylan Thomas makes a number of points in this poem, but the two loudest and recurrent points are, first of all, the inevitability of death, and second of all, the indignity of death, which is why he commends the reader to rage, rage against the dying of the day. And of course, by the dying of the day, he is referring to death. In the inevitability of death, there is indignity. Death is not the created order. Death is always an intrusion. It doesn't matter if, if like Dylan Thomas, you, have, you live a scant 39 years, or if you live until you're 113 years old, it doesn't matter. Death will always be an intrusion on the created order of things. And for those of us who look on, we shake our heads in solidarity with those most closely associated with the deceased. But in the end, it's always a reminder of our own mortality. And it drives us to ask the big questions once again. What is life about? Is there anything after life? Is there a God? How can we make sense out of death and dying? And as we ask these questions, it is our own way of prematurely raging against the dying of the day. It is also instructive and helpful to look at what the author of life has to say about in his book, the Bible. On September the 16th of 2001, five days after the greatest attack ever on American soil, Tim Keller, who was a Presbyterian pastor in Manhattan, preached a memorial service and chose as his text, the Bible text I now read to you, as people were struggling to make a sense out of death and dying. It is the story of Jesus at a friend's death. And it goes like this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, will live even though he, they may die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. When the Jews found out that uh, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her, weeping and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled where have you laid him he asked come and see Lord they replied Jesus wept then the Jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. When he had said this, so they took away the stone. And when he had said this, Jesus called him out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, in this story, I want you to observe the four ways in which Jesus dealt with the death of one he dearly loved. The first thing, we, thing that we observe, that Jesus was troubled. The word in the original Greek language implies bodily agitation. One can easily imagine Jesus in front of Lazarus' tomb with a stone in front pacing back and forth. So disturbed was he at his friend's passing. I can recall standing over the body of my father who had just taken his last breath and shouting, I'm not ready, again and again. I was indeed greatly troubled, raging against the dying of the day. So too, Jesus at the death of a loved one, paced in an agitated fashion in front of the tomb of his friend Lazarus. The second thing we observe is that Jesus was deeply moved, so says the text. Of course, we try to, to make sense in the English language what was originally written in the Greek language, but as we study the original language, we find that this word means literally to snort with anger. Jesus was indignant with the institution of death. He snorted with anger at death, angry at its inevitability, anger at its appearance of winning, anger at its intrusion into the created order. Jesus shouted with anger at death itself, and Dylan Thomas had picked up on this and said, though wise men at their end, no darkness is right, or darkness is inevitable. They do not go gently into that good night. The third thing that we observe uh, from this text is that Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It was the first Bible verse that I memorized. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Jesus knew the inevitability of death. And he knew and reacted to the indignity of death. But Jesus also grieved deeply. He knew what he was about to do. Nothing takes Jesus by surprise. Nevertheless, Jesus wept. I think sometimes, particularly us men, feel like it is a badge of honor to be a stoic, burying our emotions deeply, pressing them down deep into our stomachs, lest we appear weak, but I would tell you today, there was no one stronger than Jesus. And Jesus unashamedly wept at the passing of his friend. There's no shame in tears. His tears were an authentic expression, not ginned up to identify with those the, those, the tears of others present. Emotions are funny things. And sometimes they're conflicting. And Dylan Thomas said as much when he said, and you, my father, there on the sad height, curse and bless me now with your fierce tears. Those tears could be the result of a blessing or as a curse. 
I didn't know Laura. Sadly, I was introduced to her by Kevin only after she had passed. My sense was that she loved life and sought to live it right. She was authentic in what she said and did, what we might call a straight shooter. She certainly had a strong work ethic. But there is still a fourth response of Jesus to death, and that is Jesus exuded hope. I would say that all of those first three responses, being deeply moved, that is snorting with anger at death, being deeply troubled, that is bodily agitated at the presence of death, the unwelcome intruder. Third, the weeping, the grieving deeply. Those are all relevant and appropriate responses to death, but there's no hope in any of those. Only a purging of emotions. Jesus goes a step further and offers hope. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus addressed the big questions head on. What about what happens after we die? Is there another life? Jesus assures us that believing, we can be assured of life after life. The operative word is believe. The question is, what must we believe? Jesus' own words answers the question, and if Jesus wept is the shortest verse, then this verse is the best known verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When God created this world, Adam and Eve could have lived forever except for the violation of the only commandment they had. One, don't eat of the tree. God told them that if they did, death would be the intruder. And it did, and it persists today. And even knowing what we know, had we been there in the Garden of Eden ourselves, we would have done the same thing. Even still, each of us violates God's commandments every day. As Brenda said earlier, not one of us is perfect. We manufacture idols in our hearts, and we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But God became a human and identified with our suffering. We just celebrated that a couple of weeks ago, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that sometime in the last couple of weeks, you sang this song, Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Later on, he says, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Our sin, our imperfections, as Brenda pointed out, creates the inevitability of death and subsequent separation from God. But Jesus offers hope. He says, believe in me and I will put death to death. God and sinners will be reconciled, born to give us second birth. We're born again to new life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus as the one who took death for us. I understand that Laura was a Presbyterian. That by itself means nothing. But what a Presbyterian, a Baptist, a Methodist, a Congregationalist, a, Pre a Pentecostal believes, that means everything. 
that God loves us. He loved Laura. Our sin creates separation from God. But Jesus died as our substitute. When I was in college, we used to say, he took the rap for us. That was after they invented colleges. God offers this free gift of eternal life to heaven to those who believe. And that's why Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he concludes by saying, do you believe this? That's really the big question that we ask. What is it that we believe? Jesus offers hope, and Laura has gone before us to help us ask that big question. She taught us how to live in her living. Now she teaches us how to die in her dying. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We rage against the dying of the day by believing in Jesus as the one who took on himself the penalty of our sin, born that men no more may die. That is hope. Would you all pray with me, please? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the promises that you give us, that in believing we might know that we have everlasting life. We thank you for Jesus, who came into this world not just to teach us good things, not just to do good and heal the sick and, and help the poor, though he did that, but he suffered what we suffer, and he died as we die, so that we might not have to die eternally. Thank you, God, for that gift of eternal life that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for the hope that generates in us that even though our friend Laura has passed, there's still an eternal life, another life to live. We thank you for that. We thank you for your love for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with us as we sing together How Great Thou Art. The words are in your insert.
In your program, you'll find the words to the 23rd Psalm, and I invite you to recite with me this, the 23rd Psalm, a salve for the soul for people through the ages. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The family would invite you to join them at Roy's just across the parking lot here. You can stay parked right where you are if you wanted to and just walk across the parking lot to Roy's uh, and uh, there will be an informal continuation of this memorial service there at that time. Thank you, Kevin. And now would you receive uh, God's benediction. May God bless you and keep you. May God make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen.